All right, guys, so we are in lesson 12, and I've entitled this Walking as a Believer, Part 1. So we're going to probably spend three different parts on this. Uh, and so we're going to look today at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 14. Okay, so let me, um, let me begin by reading you the passage we're going to be looking at, okay? Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by light. And whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Okay, so here's what we're going to do, folks. We're going to really divide this up into two sections. So we're going to look, first of all, at the issue of walking in love. We're going to see that in verses 1 to 7. And then we're going to look as walking as children of light. So let's take each one of those, okay? So first thing we're going to notice when it talks about walking in love, he wants us to be imitators, Okay, wants us to be imitators. We're going to explain a little bit more about that. But here's how he begins. He begins with that great word. He's used it several times already. It's therefore. All right, so what's he talking about there? Once again, he uses the word therefore to express how his readers live out these truths. So the therefore is referring back to all of the truths about your salvation, about your new standing with Christ, about your being a part of the children of God, about all of those truths about who you are. And so now this is how he wants you to live, okay? He's, he's referring back to what you should already know, the truths. And this is how you should live. So Paul calls believers to be imitators of God and how they live out their faith. So this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be imitators of God in how we walk, 
We're talking about walk. What does that mean? Walking isn't just I walk like God, but I live like God wants me to live. Or I live like Jesus. Okay? Now, how do I do that? He tells his readers to imitate God should be as a child would imitate their parents. You ever seen that? Little ones, they like to imitate their parents. They like to do what they talk like their parents, say the things that their parents say, act the way their parents say. It, it's kind of funny, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? They're like little us. Do you know what I'm saying? Sometimes it isn't funny, okay? Yeah, because you can get embarrassed. Yes, it can be funny when they're three, but it's not funny when they're 16. Yes, that's true. And, but he's telling us, just like a little child would imitate their parents, you and I are to imitate who? Yeah, we're to imitate God, okay? Now, before I go on and tell you how we're to imitate him, let me just kind of point out that here something that really was strict. When I was... Uh, Getting ready this morning, I was thinking about this passage, and I thought, you know, that therefore again, you getting saved, you coming to Christ, you committing your life to him and, and, and that forgiveness and everything, that's just not something for later on. That should be motivating you. That should be spurring you on to live a different life because you're a new person. Do you know what I'm saying? It's not just, okay, I'll be la okay later on, which, by the way, I think that's a bad attitude to have. And if you've got that kind of attitude, I've got questions about your faith because there should be some sort of transformation. So I was reading this morning one of the Bible reading plans I'm doing that talked about Zacchaeus. As soon as Zacchaeus met Jesus, what did he want to do? He wanted to repay who? Anybody he had cheated. Why? Because he was a tax collector. And what do tax collectors do? They cheat people, right? Oh, by the way, just so you know, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, my, my, no, my tax collector. You know. no, 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 their tax collectors were different. The Roman government and most governments would say, let's say Rob's the tax collector. I'm going to pick on him. They'd say, Rob, I want you to go around. I want you to get 100 bucks from everybody. That's the tax. But I'm going to allow you to tack on your fee. And so sometimes they would double it. Okay, the tax is 200. He would give the government 100. He would keep 100. Now, would Rob be doing okay financially with that kind of an arrangement? Yeah. How would you feel about that if you knew that was the arrangement? Not very good, right? Yeah, we would be pretty upset. We wouldn't hold tax collector. Rob would have no friends. Well, so now you understand the Gospels, right? You, now you understand why he, Jesus hangs out with sinners and who? Tax collectors, right? But thankfully, Rob is not a tax collector, right, Rob? <laughs> not not a, a Roman tax collector. So... He tells his readers to imitate. We're, we're to imitate, be, we're to be like children. He, in fact, we've had several other passages that tell us to be like that. So what, what is he doing? We're going to be spurred on. Philippians 2.5 is a good parallel passage because there it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. 
Again, Philippians, another letter. Paul saying, have the mind of Christ. There it goes on and talks about being humble, walking in humility like Christ. And it explains that. So, so what are we going to do now? So here's what he wants us to do. First thing, Paul calls his readers to walk or live out their lives in love. That's to be the main primary thing. Love. So how do people know that people are Christians? Think about today. How do people know that people are Christians? Okay, by the way they live, okay, that's good, John. How, well, how else do people know? If you were to walk around and people would say, oh, that's a Christian, how would they know that that's a Christian, that people are Christians? I see grimaces. Ah, I'm not sure, George. Uh, what'd you say, Gene? By the way they treat other people. Okay. What else? Anybody else got something? It should be that way, right? Yeah. Okay. So Jesus said, by this show they know that you are my disciples by your what? Love for one another. The primary thing that needs to come out of our lives is one of love. Do you know what I'm saying? Love. Now, Gene, you look like you got a thought. Okay. Some people you can't love. Okay, I understand that. So you have to ask for God to help you to what? Because we're to love them as who loved us. And are you saying that we're lovable? No, we're not lovable. How could he love us? Because he knows us. Do you understand what I'm saying? He knows us, but he loves us, and we're to love that kind of love. Now, you're right. There are some people that just pluck your nerves. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think you can. Yeah, well, yeah, especially if there's history there or something. Yeah, okay. But you can still love them. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that doesn't mean you need to go to the football game with them or share a meal with them. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Have lunch with them or a coffee. Yes. Yes, yes. That's the, that's the reality. So, but you can still love them. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's not calling you to cozy up to them. But you can genuinely love somebody who's not doing right. Yeah. And we, and we have. And we do, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what it's calling us to do is to be people of love. Okay? It's calling us to be people of love. So we're to do this as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So that's, that's our example. Because, listen, what we're talking about is loving people. That, is that easy? Is that easy? No, especially when you talk about, like what Gene said, there's just some people you don't want to love. You know what I'm saying? Now, I used to hear this years ago. Oh, I love that person, but in the Lord. I love you in the Lord, but I can't stand you. What is that? That's just double talk, right? What's that? 
Yeah, that's lying to yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah okay. So it's not that, but I, I, just as Christ loved us, and folks, we're in the morning service, we're starting into the, the, res, the trials, and he's going to appear before Pilate and be crucified. He still loved them, even though they put him on a cross. Okay? Now, Paul tells us that giving himself for us was Christ's offering and sacrifice to God. So when Jesus gave himself for us, he's got to make that point here. It just wasn't anything. It was a sacrifice to who? God. It was something to honor God, okay? Now, he also stresses that it was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Now, why would he put that in there? Anybody got an idea? So he's talking about this sacrifice that Jesus was making, and he says this was to the Lord, and it was a sweet smelling aroma to God. What, 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 what do you think the reason for doing that is? Okay, it's one thing that we can do that God likes, but we're talking about Jesus here. So the sacrifice of Jesus, which he did for God, was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. What do you think that means? Uh, there's aspects of enjoyment that, okay, that's a good question, Gene. That's a good point, but here's, here's, let me help you. Why it's a sweet, God approved. And God did delight in him. And you say he delighted in him going to the cross? He delighted in his obedience to go to the cross. Did he relish that his son suffered the way he did? No, I don't think he relished that. But he relished his obedience. Yeah, Mike? Yes. Yes. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, where we just quoted verse 5, you go a little bit further, it talks about him being obedient to, the, to death, the death on the cross. And God was pleased in him. And because of that, very same passage, he exalted him to a place high above everyone else. And that's where it says, and every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the reality is, he stresses that what Jesus did was approved by God. Now, what do you think the implication is that for you and I? Okay. Okay, okay, all right, that's good, John. But I want to, th yeah, that we can head in that direction, and you're right, but I want to back up one step further before we get to what you're saying. When I look at this and I think about the sacrifice of Jesus and he's in obedience to the Father, and the Father sees it as a sweet-smelling aroma he approves of, that what's the implications for you and I? What you're saying is true, yes. That's one step beyond what the first thing should be. Think about it. Or maybe I'm confusing you. Okay, yes. But I'm saying Jesus' obedience, being approved by God, has an implication for you. Let me help you, okay? 
because everybody's going to what we need to do and our obedience and how that'll be approved of God. I think the implication that you're seeing is you don't have to second guess the sacrifice of Jesus for you. Like, did that really cover my salvation? Was that really approved by God? Did God accept that sacrifice for me because I know me and all my junk? Is that really it? Is, yeah, why? Because Jesus going to the cross, paid the price. He is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, big Bible word for wrath satisfier, anointing sacrifice. And God approved of it. And I'm saved. So now we get to what everybody else is saying. The implication is that as I am obedient to him, it's a sweet-smelling aroma to him as well. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's approved, God approves of my obedience. See, that's the implication. But before that, I can be sure about my what? Salvation. So again, when you look at it that way, you can be sure. Does that have anything to do with you when you think about your salvation? With God, is God really worried about what you did or didn't do when it comes to the issue of salvation? It's all based upon who? What Jesus did. See, that's the implication. So many times, though, we look at each other as believers and we say, yeah, but God, you, I know you're upset with me. No, he's not upset with you. No. Now, is it, he's not tossing you out of the family. Because Jesus did it all for you. Did you understand what I'm saying? Salvation is there. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. And that's the implication. He's stressing that that sacrifice that Jesus made was a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Now, but the implication goes beyond that again to our obedience to where now he's talking about, Paul pointed out that cert certain sins that should not be named among believers... There are certain sins that should not be named among believers. And what are they? Look with me at verse 3 and 4. Here's what he says. But fornication. Now, anybody know what fornication is? Lori. Yeah, sexual immorality. Any kind of sexual sin, period. That goes the gamut from pornography down to sex outside of marriage, sex adultery in marriage. It goes to beyond that to homosexuality. And so for any kind of sexual sin should not be named among believers. Bottom line, that's what he's saying. All right, but there are some other sins here. Okay, what other sins? Look with me, verse 3 and 4. But fornication and all uncleanness uncleanness. Now, remember, he's a Jew. Uncleanness means more than just sexual sin here. It's about behavior that makes you unclean before God. It's, it's offensive behavior to God, okay? Also, let's look here, and covetousness. Now, what is that? Again, that has nothing to do with sex unless you covet another man's wife, but what is covetousness? 
Yeah, wanting what your neighbor has, wanting what somebody else has. You know, like, like I kind of slip out and look at the parking lot and say, man, wish I had a truck like him. Why can't I have a truck like him? You know what I'm saying? Or why can't I have the latest phone like he has? Or, you know what I'm saying, you're coveting what somebody else has, wishing it was your own. That's not right. Okay, he goes on. He look at this. Let these not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Neither filthiness or foolish talking. Now, anybody got any idea what foolish talking is? Foolish talking. Yeah, we struggle with that. Coarse jesting. That's, that's, that's joking at the expense of somebody else. Okay, coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. So he's pointing out certain sins that should not be named among believers. Okay, these are things that shouldn't even be named among us. So here's what he says. He stresses that engaging in these sins is not fitting for the saints of God. It's not fitting for us. Now, I think it's interesting here. These sins cover outward actions, inward attitudes, and speech. Outward actions, inward attitudes, and speech. This is what he's focused on here. Now, again, I've told you my background is, okay, so I came to Christ as a uh, 19-year-old um, went into an independent Baptist church, and of course, that's where my ordination is and everything. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, I have fond memories of those days, but I also have memories of lots and lots of rules and judgment of others because they couldn't, they didn't have the outward appearance. Weren't dressed the right way, didn't, you know what I'm saying, didn't have the right hair, you know, didn't, you know, I mean, just a lot of superficial stuff. But in reality, the Bible doesn't talk about judging that we need to live like that. It talks about us dealing with what? Our outward actions. And here the outward action, the primary outward action that he talks about here is fornication, sexual sin. He talks about inward attitudes. Okay? Covetousness is an inward attitude. Wouldn't you agree with that? Okay? Uncleanness, yeah, that can be an outward action, but it can also be an inward attitude. But then speech, foolish talking, coarse jesting. Do you know what I'm saying? All those things, those are the things that he's focused on here, and he's saying, look, those things shouldn't even be a part of your life. Okay? Those things shouldn't even be a part of who you are as a person. So, believers should engage in thanksgiving rather than sins of one's speech. So, rather than coarse jesting, joking at somebody else's expense, rather than foolish talking, you should be expressing what? Thanksgiving. You know what I'm saying? Thanksgiving. Now, Paul states that those who are marked by these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. 
What a reminder. Because a lot of times, these things that we engage in is what everybody else is engaging in in the world, right? So he's kind of bringing it back to reality to us. And he's saying, look, I want you to understand that people who engage in these kind of sins, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. They're not, you're living like the world. The world's not going to inherit who? The kingdom of God. That's what he's saying here. That's the point he's making. So he warns his readers not to allow themselves to be deceived with empty words. What do you mean empty words? Well, someone coming along, like maybe you would say, uh, you know, I go to Rob and I say, you know, Rob, I, I apologize. I've, I've been joking at your expense, which I have. I do apologize, Rob. And uh, I, I, I did wrong. And Rob says, oh, that's okay, man. It's all right. Those are empty words. Because he's basically saying, oh, it's okay for you to joke about me and put me down and whatever. I can deal with it. No, he can't. But the problem is, is that he gives me a license then to what? Continue in the behavior. And so he's saying here, look, don't you be deceived by somebody telling you it's okay for you to act the way that you're feeling convicted about. It's okay for you to continue in the sins that God is saying to you, don't do. That you're going to be okay. Because you don't know that you're going to be okay. Okay? You don't know. So these words are empty because God's wrath is coming to the disobedient. Here's the thing, that, those folks out there who are not believers, who are engaging in that, they are going to face what, folks? They're not going to be a part of the kingdom of God. What are they going to face? I hear whispers. Judgment. What does that mean? Hell, yes. The lake of fire. God's wrath. Okay? So, once again... Paul calls his readers to not engage in these sins with the disobedient. So he's again, he's saying, don't do this. Don't live like this. Don't carry on like that, okay? Live differently. Okay? Live differently. And I understand nobody wants to be different. But if you have Christ in you, the Spirit is moving you to move, live differently. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's convicting you to live differently. All right, now let's talk about walking as children of light. Paul points out that believers were once in darkness. Now everybody recognize that? Before you came to Jesus, no matter what age, before you came to Christ, you were in darkness. Okay? You were in darkness and Christ reached out and he touched you. And he stresses that believers are now light in the Lord. I think it's interesting the way Paul points this out. He's not saying that you have the light. He's saying the way the word is written, you are the light of the Lord. You're a light. Isn't that interesting? You're a light in this world of darkness around us, okay? Now, he tells believers that they are to walk and live as what? Children of the light. 
So again, he's getting back to walk and live like the person you are. It's not a question of who you're supposed to be. It's the person you are. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then live like it. Live as you are. Okay? Live as you are. So he points out that the fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of living as children of light. That's why he includes that in there. If you look at your Bible, it's in parentheses. First of all, Paul didn't write parentheses when he wrote in the original languages, but that's what it's kind of, it's kind of referring to that section here where he goes on and says that for the fruit of the Spirit is all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Paul gives another list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This is what the Spirit of God is supposed to be producing in your life. If you have Jesus, the Spirit is working in your life to produce fruit. And that is an evidence that you are a what? A child of the light. That you, that you are a light. Okay? So believers must find out what is acceptable to the Lord concerning our lives in the Lord world. All right, so here's the responsibility. The responsibility isn't mine except for myself. Each one of you has a responsibility. What is it, George? To find out what's acceptable to the Lord concerning your lives in the world and living that way. Do, do you know what I mean? Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord for your life where you are. That's what the issue is. What do you mean where I live? Well, think about it, guys. All right, so... My week, George does what he does primarily here in Kerwinsville, right here. I do interact with others, but I'm primarily right here. I'm not where you're at during the week, wherever it might be. I don't connect with the people that you connect with during the week that you do. I connect with my people. You don't connect with my people. I, connect, I don't connect with your people. You are where you are. And so there is something that God is telling you to do and not do. The Spirit of God works in your life. And the primary responsibility for living as a child of light is for you to live as a child of light and live in such a way that you are doing what is acceptable to the Lord where you're at. Whether it's in your neighborhood, whether it's at your workplace, whether it's at Walmart, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or 5 o'clock in the morning, whichever time you want to get there. You know, because I know some people go early in the morning because they don't want to see anybody. But, you know, the reality is you are to do what is, ex the responsibility is on you. It isn't me to tell you. I tell you what the scripture says you're supposed to do. But in your everyday life, there are other things where God says to you, don't do that. Don't do that. And it's your responsibility to what? To, to, to be obedient. To find out what is acceptable to the Lord concerning our lives in the world. Now, 
we are to have no fellowship or part with unfruitful works of living in darkness. So it's don't have any part in what people are doing that's wrong. You're not to have any part in that. And, and let's be honest, you're confronted with that every day, wherever you are. You have choices you have to make, whether it's at work, whether it's with people that you're hanging out with or at a ball game or wherever, where you are constantly being confronted with unfruitful works of darkness and you have a choice of whether or not to engage in them or not. And so he's saying, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. You ha have no fellowship. Rather, as children of the light, our lives are supposed to expose the actions of darkness. You're supposed to expose the actions of darkness. Now, this passage, I think, has been misquoted a lot. Okay? What do you mean? Well, I've, I've heard this in the culture war thing, that we're supposed to point out what other people are doing is wrong vocally. But that's not the emphasis of this passage. Let's read it together, and then I'm going to show you what it says, okay? Look with me here, and verse 10 through 14. Here's what he says. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is, a sh for it is, it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done in secret. But all things that are exposed are, may, are made manifest by light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Now who's the light? You are the light, remember? He says, you're the light earlier. Your life makes manifest of what around you? Darkness, deeds of darkness. For instance... Have you, I've been in this situation, maybe it's because I'm a pastor, but sometimes I've been in situations where people don't know that I'm a pastor, and you can be in a room where people are, okay, let's talk about the way they talk. And the way they talk is just terrible, but the way you talk, you choose not to talk that way. After a while, things get uncomfortable. Ever been in a situation where people get uncomfortable because you're not talking the way they're talking? You're not, and it's like, and they don't even know anything about you yet. What is it? Is your life, is, did I have to say anything? Did I have to say to them, stop talking that way, what you're saying is wrong? No. The fact that I don't engage in it, what affects them? That's what he's talking about here. It's not talking about like we see, we've got to expose what everybody else is doing wrong. No, that's not the point. You live your life out as a light. Avoiding what is wrong, that exposes the darkness. There's a contrast then, isn't it? That's the point he's making here, okay? So, as children of the light, our lives are supposed to expose the actions of darkness. Paul points out that it is shameful even to talk out loud about these actions done in darkness. It's shameful. That makes me very much aware that he's saying he's not talking about talking about it out loud. He's talking about the way you live your life exposes it. Okay? Because you're, it's, it's a shameful thing to talk about these things. So it is, light, it is the light that exposes the deeds of darkness. 
It is the way you live your life. It exposes the deeds of darkness. So be aware of that. So Paul quotes a song based on Isaiah 26, 19, as he calls believers to wake up. So what's that song? It's in verse 14. Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So they, they wrote a song. People still write songs today based on the scripture. They wrote a song based on Isaiah 26, 19. It's not a direct quote from Isaiah 26, 19, but he's calling believers to wake up. What is it? They are to wake up to the darkness that they came from and receive the light of Christ. Wake up. Quit living like the world. That's what. Wake up and receive the light. You are the light. That's the point here, okay? Next week, we're going to continue on in verse, to verses 15 through 20.